This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. I love you. I want you to live your best life. I want you to have the greatest chance of success. I want you to know what it is to truly love and be loved. And the only way you can do that is to understand how God sees you, not how the world wants you to be or what it tells you. We cannot understand sexuality unless we first understand theological anthropology, how God sees all of us. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Welcome back to Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron. We're about to continue with a message from Pastor Jeff from his series on sexuality, identity, and Jesus. If you missed the start, you can find it all wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines on any major podcast app. As Christians, how are we to understand sexuality when it comes to identity and Jesus? In this series, The Talk, Pastor Jeff lays out the foundation for this topic and gives understanding on how we are to be identified by God and God alone. Let's join him now as he continues in Genesis chapter 1 in talking about identity. And just a warning, as you can guess, there's some language and themes in this message that may not be suitable for younger listeners. Here's Pastor Jeff. My heart goes out to a whole generation that has been raised up with an incorrect anthropology and things have been shoved at them from all directions. And quite frankly, I'm not sure how I would have turned out if I lived in this generation and culture. I don't know. That's why you can't determine truth by how you feel or by what culture tells you. Truth has to be, if it's truth, objective and only objective truth can come from God. And here's what the Bible tells us about us. Number one, you and I are created in the image of God. Two, our image has been distorted by the fall, all of us. Three, God is in the process of restoring those who will come to him by faith. Created in the image of God, the image has been distorted by the fall, so we all have desires in us that are not consistent with who we truly are. All of us, come on, every single one of us, they're there, but God is in the process, I wish it happened just like that, but in the process of restoring those who will come to him by faith. So that my identity, who I am, begins with understanding that you're created in the image of God, but also understanding that you've been tainted by sin. All of us. We have infinite worth and value and meaning because we're created in God's image, but we also, all of us, have desires within us that are impure and unholy because we've been tainted by sin. All of us. And Genesis 1.27 says this. Look carefully. This is the only exegesis we're going to do in this message. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Now, did you notice those two, those two lines sound like the same exact thing to me? Well, there's a reason. Male and female, he created them. So man as a whole, male and female, we are described as being made in the image of God. The imago Dei, the image of God. What does this mean? Well, it means we've been given divine characteristics. Although you and I are tainted by sin, we have human qualities that are reflections of the attributes of God. Our capacity to love, to forgive, compassion, empathy for one another, our ability to feel, to desire intimacy are all reflections of the image of God in us. This is the reason God created the natural world. And after he did, he said, this is good. But after he made male and female, he said, this is very good. Did you notice that? 
Nothing else, listen, nothing else has been created in the image of God, just you and me. The Bible presents a rather high anthropology concerning mankind, and that is that only us, only we are created in the image of God. But that same scripture, Genesis, tells us that sin does enter our world, and when sin enters the world, this image of God that we're created in became distorted, but not lost, effaced, but not eradicated. So we're made in the image of God, but that image is tainted by sin, and we all have sin, all of us. So that sin is universal and pervasive, but it isn't who I am. Sinful people, this is the next important segment here, sinful people are still created in God's image. You're created in God's image whether you're a Christian or not. Doesn't matter, you're still created in God's image. Even if you're not presently submitting to God, you're still created in God's image. Whether or not you experience same-sex attraction or identify as gay or lesbian, all people are created in the Imago Dei, the image of God. This is who we are. An identity can never be erased. It's not shifting or changing. It's objective, which is why Christopher Yon, the gay Christian from Harvard, also says this. This, the fact that we're created in the image of God, is an indictment of Christians who mock or demonize people identifying as gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender. Such harmful actions and attitudes fail to honor the dignity and value of others created in the image of God. It also forsakes the believer's calling to reflect the image of Christ and proclaim the good news to those who have yet to believe. Do you hear what he's saying? Come on, we've all grown up and we've all heard pastors talk about how terrible those people are. We're all terrible. We're all created in the image of God, but we're all tainted by sin, all of us. Jeff, you're hammering this image of God thing. Yes, because the image of God impacts every question that concerns humanity. Look again. So God created man in his own image. That's the first line that lays the foundation. In the image of God, he created him. The second line repeats it in a different order. And we'll talk about why in a second. And then he says, male and female, he created them. Now listen, this is called parallel lines of poetry in Hebrew literature. Hebrew language utilizes Threefold repetition as one of its most explicit superlatives. For instance, Isaiah says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The succession is supposed to cause the listener to pause and reflect on a very profound truth. So Isaiah says, God is holy, holy, holy. Genesis says, Just as the image of God is essential to who we are, male and female, that's also essential to who you are. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Repetition for emphasis. But the third line says God created male and female in his image. And that is the fundamental reoccurring element of the creation narrative, differentiation. God creates light and darkness. He creates day and night, evening and morning, land and sea, land and atmosphere, Plants and trees, fish and land animals, and male and female. So as hard as someone might try to alter his or her own body, the most that can be done is to artificially remove or augment body parts or use pharmaceuticals to unnaturally suppress the biological reality of one's essence, male or female. But in essence, we are, all of us, either male or female, distinctive. Now, there's a .008 exception. We'll talk about that in the future. Let's just stay the course right now or go down a rabbit hole and never come back. Sexual differentiation is not a social construct. 
It was not man's idea. It is intrinsic to who God made us to be in his image. It is a biological reality regardless of how you feel. The fact that you are male or female is sacred. This is why my heart hurts for the next generation. Because if, if male or female, if that's sacred given to me by God, then that means the best life I could possibly ever live is within that design. If I start violating the ultimate original design, I have little to small chance of ever experiencing the greatness of what it is to be human as given to me by God himself. And when we deny this reality of who we really are, we let experience supersede essence. Let me say, I'm not saying, look, the problem is the feelings that these young people are having, those feelings are real. Do not tell them those feelings are not real. They're real. But I have a lot of feelings that are real that are not for my advantage or prosperity or abundant life. And when we allow what we feel to supersede who we are, when we allow psychology to usurp biology, we deny the truth of scripture and embrace 1800 existentialism. We're created by God, male and female, in the image of God, and that image has been tainted, and as a result, all of us have desires that are inconsistent with our true identity, every single one of us. But doesn't the Bible tell us that we're supposed to love each other and bear each other's burdens, right? So if I have desires in me that are unholy, do you come along and shoot me? Or do you come along and put your arm around me and say, Jeff, this is not acceptable, but we're here together. We're going to make it. We're going to bear each other's burdens, Galatians 6. However, and this is a big however, did you know that the Imago Dei is not only a statement in Scripture of this is who you are. Do you know it's also a command? Because the Bible assumes that you and I will be tempted to live in a way that violates essence. So Christ followers are exhorted to clothe themselves, Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh. Okay, now things are becoming clear. Now we're on the journey. Paul the Apostle, Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, if you live according to what you always want or feel, you will die. But if by the Spirit that tells you your essence and what is appropriate and acceptable, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So the Bible tells us that we have been, those who become Christ followers, we have a new spiritual man or woman, but we're still incarcerated in the flesh. You with me? You're a new man or a new woman, but there's still an incarceration. Your true identity wants to live the life that God wants us to live in fullness, but it's restricted by the flesh and the essential us, who we really are, wants to do the good, but the flesh doesn't fully cooperate. Come on, you know that's true. You know your mind wants to do the good, but the flesh has a totally different story to tell. You don't have desires in you. Come on, you don't have desires in you. To say that if you have a desire, it must have been given to you by God is ridiculous. Think about how illogical that is. Let me ask you something. Who do you want to kill? Come on, besides your husband, who else? Who, who would you like to torture? Just give me five minutes with him. You don't have... The overwhelming desire to gossip about somebody and just rip them to shreds, that, that's not in you? What family member would you like to run over with your car? <laughs> Look, my wife and I have this rule. We do not go to Krispy Kreme donuts unless the light is on. If the light is on, it's a, it's a sign from God. 
It is. We, we said, you know, we're not stopping there, but if the light is on and we're in the vicinity and we look over and the light is on, it's a sign from God. Sometimes I have to drive around like 10 times before that light comes on, but <laughs> if the light comes on, it's from God. Now, let's think about this just for a moment on just basic, basic theology, anthropology, and just everyday life. I have a desire to eat a dozen of those donuts every time I pass by. Don't you? Why don't you? Some of you don't. I do. Why don't I? It's called gluttony. Do you eat everything you see and everything you want? No. Every time you desire something, do you act on it? Of course you don't. So Paul says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Interesting Greek phrase. What it's saying is, your spirit, your essence, your identity is one thing, but your body's going to want to do other things, and it wants to use your hands and your eyes and your nose, the members of your body it wants to use to fulfill the desires of the flesh. But you've got to say, no, I've got to die to sin and I'm alive to God in Christ. But rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself, again, the limbs, to him as an instrument of righteousness. Now, what does this tell us? Remember what we said? From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been forcefully advancing. The old King James, the kingdom of God suffers violence and violent people take it by force. It's not about warfare. It's about spiritual warfare, the kind of battle that you and I are going to face and have to fight or we will lose. Listen, I promise you, and you know this if you're an honest person, I have desires in me that are impure, just as impure as those you think you have or somebody else has. We all got them, everybody. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which we'll deal with later, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Every time you think, oh, my temptation is so much difficult than everybody else, no, it's not. It might be particular to you, but everybody's got that. Everybody's got that baggage, every single one of us. And quite frankly, and we're gonna talk about this next week, there are many things that that play a role or a part in the temptations that a person has as they get older. Many things. And we could spend so many hours talking about sociologists and what they think makes a person steal or makes a person kill or turns you into a serial killer or makes you desire everything that you've ever seen food-wise and you never stop eating or gives you same-sex attractions or makes you want to transition from one to the other. We could talk about all of those till we're blue in the face and they're all probably true to some respect. But the Bible simply tells you this. With the calling of God comes the supernatural power of God to give you ultimate victories over sin and death. No matter what it is, you can win the victory. And the reason sex, sexuality, identity is so prevalent in our culture as a struggle is because we're inundated with it. And if you show somebody something long enough and you just pour it into them long enough, sooner or later, you're going to be tempted to some degree. Some more than others. Nevertheless, the Bible tells us when you are tempted, he will provide a way so that you can endure. I don't struggle with pornography, but do not put me on a pedestal. I've got plenty of other struggles. I don't know why I don't. I have no idea. Is it my upbringing? Is it, what is it? It's just not something I struggle. But I got other struggles that are just as bad. Everybody has struggles. All of us. In fact, the Bible tells us in James 1, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Boy, how appropriate that is to this topic. 
Don't blame God for the tempting that you're tempted to do something that is not consistent with the word of God. Don't say, well, God made me this way. We're gonna talk more about that next week. See, I can't answer every question in one sermon. But regardless, don't say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. So we all have desires and desires in and of themselves aren't wrong. It's when we act on those desires that it leads to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. Listen, the desires of the flesh are complex. Legitimate desires are given by God, but each of us have illegitimate desires that are a result of a fallen world and being tainted by the image of God. Please look, hear my heart. I care about you. And if I truly care about you, when you're struggling with any sin, whatever it is, I'm not throwing you under the bus. I'm putting my arm around you and saying, we're gonna work through this together. And I don't think any less of you because I've got my own issues. Who are we? Male and female created by God in the image of God. Every life is sacred. Every race is sacred. Now, this is the final aspect here. Every sex is sacred. Why is every life sacred, every race sacred, every sex sacred? And the answer is because they're given by God. You can't determine your own life. You had nothing to do with it. God gave it to you. You can't determine your race. That's a gift of God. And you can't determine your own sex, male or female. All of these are determined by God and are therefore sacred. So when somebody says to me, Pastor Jeff, why can't you be more affirming of someone who wants to change their sex from male to female? Are you transphobic? Now, when somebody says that to me, I always want to say, what does that mean? Am I afraid of trans people? No. Are you Christphobic? Are you afraid of Jesus? Because here's the, here's the reason that I cannot affirm someone who wants to change their sex from male to female. For the same reason, I will not affirm someone who wants to change their race. Race is sacred, given by God. Sex is sacred, given by God. And identifying as the opposite or alternative to the identity that God has given you is not only a transgression against God, but it's a transgression against yourself. You're putting yourself in a position where you're never going to be able to live the life that God's called you to live. Remember what we said? If God is the creator of design, then as long as as you operate within that design, you'll prosper. If you take a sailboat that's meant to sail on the open waters and you rush it near the rocks, you'll destroy it. God made you male and female. And you violate design, you do so at your own peril. So if a pastor really loves you and really cares for you, he's not going to affirm, yes, even though God has made you male, I think you should change to female because your feelings tell you that you feel that way. Because your identity is not based on how you feel, but on who you are. And you are a person created in the image of God, and he created them male and female. I want you to win. I want you to thrive. Some of you junior hires and high schoolers, I know you're very confused about all the things that are being shoved your way. But as you get older, you're going to realize that it's all contradictory. One day it's this, the next day it's that. But the Bible, Jesus said, the word of God stands forever. And because I want you to win and thrive, I want you to know and experience God's pleasure and his presence in your life. I want you to know what it is to be your true self and to perfect this beautiful design God has given you as male and female. But we'll never be able to until we come to grips with what Jesus said in Mark 7. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly.
Now, when you read that, why do you just pick out sexual immorality? Look at the other things that are there. Are you guilty of those? Matthew Henry says, our wicked thoughts and affections, words and actions defile us, and these only. As a corrupt fountain sends forth corrupt streams, so does a corrupt heart send forth corrupt reasonings, corrupt appetites and passions, and all the wicked words and actions that come from them. A spiritual understanding of the law of God and a sense of the evil of sin will cause a man to seek for the grace of the Holy Spirit to keep down the evil thoughts and affections that work within. Do you know what this whole series is really about? What does the world tell you you are? What does God tell you you are? And if God tells you this is your essence, then what is the greatest potential for your best life of fulfillment and love and satisfaction? The Spirit of Christ knew that we would struggle with things because of our tainted flesh. And he told us in Romans 12, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Jesus says basically this, you won't even be able to know what his good and perfect will is unless you refuse to be conformed to the thinking of the world and instead renew your mind by the unchanging, infallible word of God. So my call to you, first of all, if you're struggling with sexual sin of any kind, please know your pastor loves you and cares for you and does not look down upon you or does not look at you in a way he doesn't look at his own life. Bear each other's burdens. I don't know why this is the thing that is in your life, but I also know there are other people, myself included, who have battles in our lives that we've been fighting since the day we became a Christ follower. And together, we're gonna win this battle. If you're here and you're frustrated because I haven't answered a question or you've said, hey, but what about this? Keep coming. Keep coming to all four messages. I promise you it'll be answered. And if you're a parent, a school teacher, a care worker of any kind, and you've got to deal with this all the time and you don't know how to communicate to these young minds and lives, keep coming. I'm going to help you. But most importantly, couch everything I say in the truth of the gospel. What is the truth of the gospel? We're all sinners, all of us, and we're saved by grace through faith. And when we become a Christ follower, the Spirit of God comes on the inside of us, but there's a lot of work to be done. And whether it's our environment or everything that's happened to us in this life, you know, the reality is we're all tainted by sin of some nature, all of us. And I apologize to you that the church has pointed out your sin as somehow Jesus had to stay on the cross a little bit longer for you. I'm sorry that your frustrations and the things you're dealing with somehow has been made out to be the worst possible thing. It's almost like it's the divorce issue of the 60s and 70s. Remember what we did to divorce people in the 60s and 70s? And now we're doing that to the gay community, the people who have same-sex attractions. Why do we do that? Why do we shoot our own wounded? One and all wants to tell you that we love you and that we know you're struggling and we're here for you. We're going to bear each other's burdens, but we're always going to call you to the biblical sexual ethic without ever compromising it because it's the way to life. Amen, everybody? Amen. Father, thank you for your goodness and your mercy, and I pray in this first installment that the thing that we would take away is how great the mercy and grace of God really is for those of us who struggle. 
that when we confess our sins, that you are so quick to forgive them and to give us supernatural power that when we face the temptation next week, next month, that you are there to provide a way out. And as we learn these exit uh, avenues, give us the courage to stand and fight so that we can be who we were made to be in Christ Jesus and experience the abundant life, John 10, 10, that Jesus came to bring. In his name we pray, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.